that's one of several songs they'll be singing next Sunday evening, and um, we encourage you to come and bring a friend for that. All right, let's take our Bibles, and we'll turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter 1, it is, of course, one of the passages of the Christmas story, and we'll look at this today, why he came. And I know everyone probably can answer that, generally speaking, but I think it's important that we review some things for our own sake. And it could be that someone in here knows the story of Christmas, but you aren't truly understanding the story of the gospel. And if that is the case, it is my prayer before today started it was my prayer that since God gave me this message that there would be someone that needed to hear it and of course there are people listening online so that's also a possibility but if you're not truly born again and you're not sure you're on your way to heaven I hope that today you'll understand and and be able to receive that today Uh, why he came in Matthew chapter number one in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. He couldn't understand how she could have been unfaithful to him and pregnant. And He technically had the law on his side. He could have had her stoned for this and, and executed for being pregnant, having been already espoused or engaged to be married. and uh, But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to put her away privately <clears throat> and just kind of hide her. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And if anybody deserved a special visit from an angel in heaven, it would be Joseph and Mary uh, with what's going on in their life here. They needed some extra information, and they got it. And the angel told him in verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll go on today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together. We do pray for those that are struggling with this illness that's going around, but we thank you for healing and for those who have recovered and come back with us. Help us now, Lord, to hear from your word, and that your word would be spoken and understood clearly and that hearts would be open and and minds would be enlightened and if there is someone here that is not truly saved and born again and on their way to heaven adopted into God's family that today they would receive that gift of salvation we ask this in Jesus name amen Madison I want you to come and sit with Lexi because I can tell that she's not going to behave today just just by the way she's looking right now so Madison if you'll sit by Lexi Josh is not doing a good job and I would like you to sit by her and help her to not uh, 
whisper talk, okay? Thank you, appreciate that. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, again it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, who he is. Who he is. Jesus means Savior. The word Jesus in the Old Testament is the word Joshua, or Jehoshua. And the idea is Savior, salvation. Luke chapter 2, 11, the angel said to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And so we see that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He was sent to be the Savior. And Matthew 1 says, You will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In John chapter number 1, as far as who he is, we've got to go to John chapter 1. I love John chapter 1. As a young man, John chapter 1 was one of my favorite passages, and i just fascinated by it. It says in John 1, 1, and by the way, there are other false religions out there. There are other cults out there that will twist the words I'm about to read to you and they will make it say something else. <clears throat> For instance, in John chapter number one, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You see the capital W and the capital G there? That means that he is the word, the logos, and he is also God in the beginning, God. And it says in verse two, and the same was in the beginning with God. This, this person called the word was with God. And verse 3 says, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. And then verse 14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, who is that? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. When did that happen? Bethlehem. <clears throat> now, Elizabeth, you know what? Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't start. That's not where his life began. Humanly speaking, we think that's where his life began. But Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. For instance, if you had a New World Translation, which is what the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I would just say the Jehovah's False Witnesses teach, it says in their Bible, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with a little g God, and the Word was a little g God. All right, that is not the same thing as Jesus being God. Jesus was God and he was big G God and he was in the beginning with God. Jesus did not start out as a really good man who became God. He is not like Mormons teach sometimes that we can attain to Godhood. Listen, that is a lie of Satan. Remember, Satan told Eve, you can be as God. That's a lie. We can only be adopted into God's family, but we cannot be equal with God. Only Jesus could, could be that. And Jesus was equal with God, and Jesus was God, according to this passage, before he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus, God, made man, and then later became a man. I know that's hard for us to understand, but then again, we're talking about God. We're just human. How can we fully understand God? So he is God. Secondly, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, By him were all things made. By him all things consist. He is the creator, God, and also creator. Of course, the public school system, 
due to lots of rules and regulations, do not teach that Jesus or God created, and Jesus and God being the same, that they are creating the world, that they are the creators of the universe. Instead, we are teaching our young people that there was a big bang, as if that makes any sense whatsoever. We teach our young people that they're just a higher form of of an animal. They're just a higher evolved animal than the other animals and tadpoles on the earth. This is a lie of the devil, and this takes away creation from the creator. Our own document says, our own documents talk about that we have rights that were given to us from our creator. Our founding fathers understood the laws of nature and of nature's God. But here we see that Jesus Christ is creator. This is why Jesus had no problem doing miracles because he made the water. So if he wants to walk on it, he can. If he wants to tell it to be still, he can. He made it. If he wants to turn water into wine, he can do that. He's God. He can do anything. He created it to begin with. If he wants to raise dead back to life, he can do that too. He's the creator. But here's something even more special, I think, than God and creator. Matthew chapter 2. We were in Matthew 1. Now we go to Matthew 2 and we see the story concerning the wise men. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And here's what they said, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. I love that question because that question's odd. Because if you've ever thought about it, Nobody's born king. If you're born, you're born prince. You know, your mom's queen, your dad's king, you're prince. But they said, where is he that is born? Already king. He is God, he's creator, and he is king. He is the king. The revelation said he is the king of kings and lord of lords. That's who he is. He is the savior God, creator, and king of kings, and Lord of lords. Praise the Lord. And listen, the Bible says every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Even the unbelievers, even the atheists, and even the people who who followed a false religion into hell instead of heaven, even those people on that day of judgment, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. They will have to confess it, that he is king. There are many who wave their fist in his face today, but the king will get the last word. He is the savior. That's who he is. That's why he came. And secondly, why he came, number two, look at what he does. Back in Matthew 1, it says he shall save. And I love how it says that. He shall save. Did you notice it doesn't say he's going to try to save? He shall save his people. He shall save. Now, obviously, not every human being is going to get saved. But let me tell you this, and I'm going to get ahead of myself. Every one of his will be saved. And he shall save his people from their sin. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, it says, You hath, he hath everlasting life. If you believe on him, he hath everlasting life. That's an old English word. We don't use it anymore. But hath is the idea of present tense. I now have it, 
right now. I presently have it. And when the Bible teaches salvation, it does not teach a hope so. It teaches a no so. Look with me in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. 1 John 5, 11 says, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life. Not long life, not a hope so life, but eternal life. And this life is in his son and only in his son. Verse 12, he that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. It's either have or have not. You either currently have it or you don't have it. You either can have it and you don't have it yet, but you can have it and you can have it now. You might not believe this and it might be hard to believe, but the truth is you're looking at someone who's eternal and eternally alive right now. This body, this shell's gonna drop. You're gonna stick it in a box and bury it in the ground someday, some of you, if you happen to be around when I kick the bucket. But guess what? Me will still be eternal. I'll still be with Christ in heaven. I have eternal life. I don't have to hope I have it. I don't have to wait until it looks like I'm about to die and call my priest and have him come and sprinkle something over me and say some words over me. No, no, no. I don't have to hope it. I can know it. And that's what verse 13 says. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. Our friend Bob uh, Adams is here and He told me that's one of the things about Catholicism that he was saved out of that he recognized right away is you never know for sure. There is no blessed assurance. There's just kind of a blessed hope so. It's all kind of based on the church and your association with it and whatnot. Listen, it's not a I hope so. It's a I know so. It's not a brag. It's just a fact. When you get saved, you know it and you know you're on your way to heaven and man, you might do some stupid things just like I've done some stupid things as an adopted child. But guess what? I can't lose the salvation I've been given because God doesn't give gifts with strings attached. Can it be a gift if it has strings attached? This is the time of year where children get kind of wise and parents and grandparents say things like, Well, if you don't behave, you might not get your present this year. And if you've grown up in church and you've heard me preach and teach about gifts, you could say, don't say it smart alecally, but you could say to your mom or your grandma, well, then it's not a gift. If you're going to take it away if I don't behave. True, because a gift is a gift. Hey, I'm looking out here and I see Ron Spear. God gave him salvation. I don't think I ever would. I mean, it's Ron Spear for crying out loud. Just kidding. But you know what? It's a gift no matter what Ron does tomorrow. It's a gift no matter what I do tomorrow. It's a gift no matter what you messed up and did yesterday. Isn't that a blessing? We got to understand something. The gift of salvation has reached prisons. It has reached death row. The gift of salvation has reached corrupt corrupt governments and corrupt officials. The gift of salvation has reached the most wicked and vile people you can imagine. Why? Because it's exactly that, a gift. And either you know you have it or you don't know. And if you know you have it, it somehow changes you. It somehow makes something better out of you than you were before. And so it's not 
he might save. It's he shall save. I love the way it's written. He shall save. That's a hope. That's confirmment. That's confirming words and lingo. Now, number three, why he came. Well, to save, to, sh- to shall save, not just kind of might save. But number three, whom he saves, his people, his people. Now, who are his people? Some would teach that God's already decided who his people are. Now, I do believe that God knows everything. But the Bible says, whosoever will may come. And the Bible says that I'm to preach the gospel to every creature. The Bible says that he tasted death for every man. And so I understand and I am very much aware that the gospel is to be preached to all and yet not all will receive it. But I'll tell you what, who his people are. It's real easy to know who his people are, the ones who received it. You want to know who his, who his people are? They received his gospel. And oh, they might have rejected it for years and years and years and laughed at it and scoffed at it. But I'm telling you, if they received it before they breathed their last breath, they're one of his people. Think of my friend J.D. Cox. He's in heaven. He's been in heaven for about 18 years now, I think, if I count right. J.D. was over in Newcastle. I used to live in Newcastle. I got to know J.D. Heard J.D. was sick. Went and visited J.D. in his deathbed. He knew he was dying. His daughter had been praying for him. And I knocked on the door, and the dogs were barking and woke J.D. up and just carrying on. And she opened the door, and boy, she was mad. Somebody just disturbed her dad trying to sleep. But when she saw me, she said, you're that pastor, aren't you? And I said, yeah. She said, come on in. Came in and sat down and visited with J.D. And we we talked. And to make a long story short, I'll never forget what he prayed. He said, dear God, please save me a dirty sinner. And his voice just kind of squeaked when he said sinner. It was this time of year, and a few weeks later, he was gone. J.D. never left that room and never left that bed. Never did baptize J.D. Never did see him join the church. But guess what? He's in heaven. Because salvation isn't baptism or joining the church. Those are good things to do if you're going to live for a while. But if you're dying like J.D. was, that's okay. You know what? Salvation's the number one thing. Just like the thief on the cross next to Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. But he said, Lord, remember me. And he said, today you'll be with me. That's, that's, that's the... That's the all people. His people are those who receive him. Bible says in John chapter 1, 12, I told you I love the, the book of John chapter 1. John 1 and verse 10, it says, He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. The majority of the world didn't even know him. Verse 11, he came unto his own. That would be the Jewish people. And his own received him not. Verse 12, But as many as received him, To them gave he power to become the sons of God or the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see that? You know what a gift is? A gift is something I give to Madison. Madison's got a clarinet now. I don't have the clarinet in front of me, but I got this book right here. Madison, if this book was the clarinet, and I was going to say, Madison, I'm giving this to you. It's yours to keep. And I hold it out like that. What would you have to do to make it yours? You better grab it. Now, 
You know what that is? That's called receive. It isn't good enough if Madison says, well, I heard Pastor Matt, and that looks like a nice book, and but she never grabs it. There's some people sitting in here today that they heard the gospel message years ago or last year or two years ago, and at the end of the service, they grabbed me by the hand and said, I need to receive that. I heard it, but I don't want to just walk out of here hearing it. I want to receive it. And you don't have the gift until you have received it. It isn't good enough just to know that it's there. Otherwise, it's kind of like a Christmas present with your name on it, but you never open it. Can I tell you something? Salvation's got your name on it, but you've got to receive it. Whosoever will may come. In chapter 10 of John, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep know me, and I know them, and they follow me. But you know what Matthew 7 says? There'll come a day when people will stand before him and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's got to be the most awful thing you could possibly hear. For the creator God of the universe to say that they, he doesn't know you. The only way that could be is for him to, to have deleted you, as we talked about in the book of life a few weeks ago, from the record. His people are the ones he knows His people on judgment day are the ones he recognizes, the ones who have received him already. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 16, it talks about the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's exactly what salvation is. It's adoption. You see, adoption is a gift. (laughs) I realize not every adoption was a gift. I realize there's some pretty lousy adoptions and some pretty lousy step-parents and things like that. But let me tell you something. God's adoption is a gift because it's like you and I in a stinky, rotten orphanage. And the king of kings comes by in his chariot and opens the door and said, You're welcome to come with me and live in my palace. That's a gift. And that's what the Bible likens it to. In 1 John chapter number 3. It says it this way, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. I mean, what, what fascinating love that we should be called the children of God. You just stop and think about it. You you, you sing that song, How Great Thou Art, when I see and contemplate the universe, the stars that you've made, the world that you would adopt me, God. I want to ask you, have you been adopted? Because if you've been adopted in God's family, you know it. And if you can't say you know it, you need to get adopted. It isn't good enough to know about him if you're just staying in the orphanage. You got to receive the gift of adoption and go with him. And it says... Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, right now, those of us who have been adopted, we are right now his children. But it does not necessarily appear that we are his children. That's where Mr. Spear comes in. No, just kidding. It does not necessarily appear that we are all adopted because we're still human and we still got human characteristics and stuff. I mean, I don't wake up every day necessarily feeling wonderful 
because I'm stuck in this body. But when I stop and think about the salvation of God, I remember I have been adopted. And no matter how bad it is, I'm going somewhere and I belong to the king and the king doesn't forget his kids. Oh, praise God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. After a while, you start to recognize Christ in people because you can't help. Anybody besides me notice sometimes you'll see a, a couple adopt a young person and it's a good relationship have you ever noticed, I've done this, I've made this mistake. I've said, boy, you look just like your mom. And they'll say, I was adopted. But they took on the characteristics. You know what the Christian life is after you get saved? You take on the characteristics of your heavenly father. And people start to notice that you kind of remind me of God. You kind of remind me of Jesus, you're, the way you are well because when you're adopted you're expected to take on the characteristics of your heavenly father and his people are all those who've received him oh it doesn't matter if you've got a criminal record once you've received him you're adopted it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks you are once you've received him you're his child Hallelujah. I pick on Mr. Spear, but it's only because he picks on me. The truth is, when we get to heaven, you're going to say, wow, God finally finished what he started with those two guys, Pastor and Mr. Spear. Listen, that's what adoption is. It's the amazing grace of God. Then number four, what does he save them from? Matthew chapter 1 again. He shall save his people from the economy. He shall save his people from bad government. He shall save his people from flu. (laughs) He shall save his people from the one thing that we need saving more than anything, from their sins from sin the best part about heaven is not the streets of gold the best part about heaven is there's no presence of sin Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God you and I were born sinners we are sinners 623 Romans says the wages of sin is death John chapter 1 verse 29 John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world when he died on the cross the sky became pitch black and he cried my God my God why hast thou forsaken me even God the Father had turned his back on his own son why because he became the sin of the world the only way I can possibly go to heaven is that Jesus took my place and traded places with me and gave me his clean slate of righteousness and took my record of sin. 
when he died on the cross. 1 John 1 and verse 7 said, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Revelation 1 5 said, Cleansed by the blood of Christ, their sin washed away through the blood of the Lamb. That's why we sing about the Lamb and the blood of the Lamb, because it's the atonement, that Lamb's blood, the blood of Christ that was spilled on our behalf to cleanse us and to satisfy God and to be the atonement for sin. What does he save them from? From their sin. You you might you might come to me or Mr. Spear or someone else and say, I happen to know of a sin that you did. Trust me, I know more than you do. But because of salvation, it's under the blood. Oh, I'm not using an excuse to go out and do what I want. Because every new sin is just a heartbreak on my behalf and on his. But the good news is he saved me from my sin. And not only has he saved me from my past, but he has saved me from future sin. I am so thankful I was raised to know this book. Can I tell you something? God saved me from a life of drunkenness and vile wickedness and fornication and adultery and murder. God saved me from a life like that. You say, really? Yeah. By getting saved, there's a lot of things I have not done only because I learned a better way through the adoption. And some of you might have got adopted later than I did and maybe you committed some of those things. I got good news for you. He saved you from it just like he saved me from it and cleansed me from my sin. That leads me to the second thing, from bondage. Romans 5, excuse me, 8 verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, there's, no, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Jesus Christ, He doesn't condemn you. The world might condemn you. The neighbors might condemn you from your past. But listen to me. Because of salvation, there's no condemnation. And that's why Jesus could look at the thief on the cross next to him and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. We didn't read the first part of Matthew chapter 1. But you know what the first part of Matthew chapter 1 is? It's the lineage of Jesus. It's the lineage all the way from Adam all the way down to Jesus Christ. And listen to me. You know what's amazing about the lineage? In the lineage... There is a woman who used to be a harlot who is now in the lineage as the great-grandmother of Jesus. What? A harlot is part of Jesus' lineage? God is not ashamed to be called their God because Rahab the harlot became Rahab the believer. Ruth the Moabite became Ruth the believer. There are people in that lineage that you know are sinners and yet God is not ashamed to be called their God. And you might, you might even talk to God sometime and say, you have any idea what Matt Furge is guilty of, God? And my heavenly father would say, yes, except for one thing. I buried it in the depths of the deepest sea. It's under the blood. It's no longer there. And he points to the cross and say, it got erased there 
Would you look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? First Corinthians chapter 6. Know ye not, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, that's people who are shacking up and not married, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Huh. Don't you know that those people aren't allowed in heaven? And I dare say that some of us would read that list and say, well, I think I'm guilty of one of those or two of those. I've stolen something before. I've been drunk before. I've committed adultery in my heart before. You could say some of those things maybe, and so could I. Certainly I've been covetous before. Shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know what I'm real glad for? I'm real glad that verse 11 is there. Because verse 11 says, And such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's not that it was saying, so what, no big deal. Because sin was a big deal. But Jesus was bigger. And so you're free from the bondage of self. What does he save them from? From the bondage of yourself the bondage of your past, the bondage of sin. And you're free from that. And you're no longer held accountable for your past. That's what he saves you from. I don't have any statistics to prove it, but I think no one in here would argue that the vast majority of drug abuse and alcoholism are people trying to get away from their past and trying to hide from their guilt. And there are people that are tormented by the things they've done. And the Lord Jesus Christ is there to forgive and forget if you'll come to him. That's what he saves us from. I'll never forget years ago, I was in Newcastle. And I was pastor of a little church in Newcastle. And it was Easter Sunday. and We had this man come, and he was going to sing, he and his wife, and then he was going to preach. His name was Bruce DeLang. Some of you know who Bruce is. Bruce stood up, and he sang, and he and his wife sang some songs. And boy, he's just such a joyful expression, smiley guy. And after he sang a few songs with his guitar, he put his guitar away, pulled out his Bible, and said, well, it's good to be here Easter Sunday morning. This is the first time I've been to Newcastle in years. I've only been to Newcastle one other time, and I'll tell you what happened. I was in Custer, and I was so drunk that night, I went to go home to Rapid City, and I ended up in Newcastle instead of Rapid City. That's how we started the message. And there were people visiting that day and looked at him. 
He said, and now I'm in Newcastle in a total different way. Because Jesus saved him from his sin. Quickly, not only does he save us from our bondage, but he saves us from the fear of man. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, don't fear him that can kill the body, but rather fear the one that can send the soul into hell. Don't just fear man. And 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you fear God, you won't fear men. If you'll follow God, you'll learn not to fear man. There could be that someone is afraid to admit that they need to be adopted into God's family because you're afraid of what somebody else is going to think. That's the fear of man. Religion is all about fearing man and what man thinks. But a relationship with Jesus Christ is just what does he think. And then he saved them from the fear of death. Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm not afraid to die. Like somebody else said, I'm going to try to make it the last thing I ever do, but I'm not afraid to die. Why? Because I'm a believer. I have come close to death a lot. Every time my wife has a ladies get together and you ladies bring over all your goodies and with all your contaminant nuts and shellfish and everything in there, And then I come home, and of course it all looks good and smells good, and so I start grazing. And it didn't happen this weekend, praise the Lord. But there have been more than once where I ate something I ought not have eaten. And on to the ER we go. And there have been times more than once I've woken up staring into the eyes of nurses and doctors who thought I was going. I've been near it many times, and I'm telling you right now, it's the last thing I'm going to ever try to do, but I'm not afraid to die. 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I am not afraid of dying because I'm not under sin anymore I'm not in bondage to that I have been forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven I said earlier I have eternal life right now this body's going to stop one day this heart of mine is going to stop beating but my life is eternal already and you want to really convince your neighbors that you believe in God you demonstrate to your family and friends that you're not afraid to death now I'm not saying go jump off your roof or something but you just let them know by your actions that you're just not afraid of that by the way that's what ruined our nation two years ago. Everybody's afraid of, die, of dying. Ah! Are you afraid of dying? That's a bad sign. And then lastly, what does he save them from? From the wrath of God. Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. Romans 5, 8, Wherefore is by one man sin enter the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. But the Bible tells us that we are saved from his wrath, verse 9. 
Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 9, it goes on to say that when we, before we were saved, we are children of wrath, even as others. We were just orphans on our way to hell, children of wrath. Why do, why do people do wicked things? They're children of wrath. And children of wrath tend to just be selfish and do selfish things. But the Bible goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. And you hath he quickened who were dead. You have, he's made you alive. He's given you life and adoption. And you are not under the wrath of God. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 says, Save them from the wrath to come. And John chapter 3, if you'll turn there with me, John chapter 3 and verse 36. You see, there's something in the minds and hearts of mankind. We know that there's a creator, even if we want to pretend like there isn't. Atheists know there's a God. That's why they make such a big deal about it. Deep down inside, we know that there is eternal destiny. We know there is eternity, and we know there's a God. And the reason why people are afraid of dying is because they know they're not ready to meet their maker And I'm standing here before you, not because I deserve it, but because it's been given me. I am not afraid of death because I'm not afraid to meet the wrath of God. I will not meet it. I've been exempt from it because of salvation. John chapter 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. This is the condemnation that people feel. And sometimes people will go to will stay away from church and say, well, I don't want to go to church because I'll just feel so condemned. Listen to me. On one hand, you need to feel the con- condemnation to understand you need to be saved. On the other hand, this sermon was not condemning. This sermon was to tell you that you don't have to be condemned that you can have eternal life in the adoption. And if he adopted the thief on the cross, and if he adopted Ron Spear, and if he adopted Matt Furs, he'll adopt you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is not prejudiced, and he knows all, and he loves you anyway. It's amazing to me that, but it's so true, when he was on the cross, even I was on his mind. Jesus already knew what I was going to do wrong, And yet he died for me anyhow. And for you, will you accept it? That's why he came. And Satan and this world would love to have Christmas be all about a red-nosed reindeer and a great big fat guy in a red suit. And if that's what you think Christmas is, you're you're not understanding why he came. And if you think it's just about presence and family, you're not understanding why he came. He came to save you and to adopt you. Let's bow our heads, will we? Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I just want to ask.